to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about all things related to business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, emergency response, and anything that can be related to those subjects. Either, you know, being impacted, being a part of them, being professionals or, or you know, community members, we like to talk about any anything related to those areas. Uh, as always, if there are any subjects you would like us to talk about on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America website and on uh, the Preparing for the Unexpected homepage, there is a button there that says send host an email. And you can send me a note uh, you know, with what it is you'd like us to talk about. And I can either find a guest to bring on the show or maybe make arrangements and have you come on the show and talk about what it is you'd like uh, others to know. I've mentioned on the show before that uh, I like to read a lot. Um, I do take a train into work every day and a train home every day and an hour. So I'm reading two hours a day. Um, you know, I read at home and uh, often I'm looking for new subjects and new uh, ideas and potential guests to bring on the show. And that includes going through old uh, magazines and books that I have on the shelf, which is quite a few. And I came across one. Uh, a little while ago, uh, the an old uh, disaster recovery journal magazine from the summer of 2016, so almost two years ago. And I noticed uh, when I got to this page, there was a lot of pink highlight all over the place. And I realized, hey, this was a, an article that caught my attention back then, and it still catches my attention now. So I thought I'd reach out to the the author of this article, Someone who I've actually uh, known of, we've never met, but I've actually known of this gentleman for a while from other conferences, and I'm really honored to have him on the show. I think he has a lot of great experience, and you're going to find this topic really interesting. Uh, the topic we're going to talk about is, has the traditional BIA run its course? Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably uh, gasping right now, and uh um, you know, heresy, how can he say that? But this will be a very interesting um, a chat. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce the author of that article, Mr. John Jackson. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. It's wonderful to be on here, and I'm looking forward to sharing my thoughts. And that's why I wanted you here. I thought this article was a, a great um, piece to bring forward, and you know, I knew you had some great thoughts in here, and that's what I wanted to capture on the show. So before we get started into that discussion, can you tell us a bit about yourself for those that may not know who you are, you know, where, how you got into the industry, and you know, what you're doing now, and you know, a little bit about yourself? I'd be glad to. And uh, just interestingly, you mentioned that the article was in 2016. Um, I, I think if I wrote the article today, it would have the same message and same uh, same meaning. So uh, I don't think it's uh, I don't think the time has had anything to do with the uh, the quality of the of the content. But um, I have uh, 
I've been in the business continuity disaster recovery business for just coming up on 40 years now. I, um, wow. I started in I started in in the IT business uh, going back to the late 60s, um, and uh, and and grew up in the data center. Grew up in um, in uh, data center management and system software. And uh, interestingly, in uh, in the 78-79 period, we were moving a data center from the city of Chicago to one of the suburbs, Glenview, Illinois. And we had we had planned this out. We had built the new data center. We had everything ready to go. And um, uh, almost embarrassingly, now for me to say this, uh, my my boss, the uh, the VP of information system said to me, well, well, what happens if we can't get the new system up? What happens if there's a problem with the building? What happens if there's a problem moving the hardware? And, uh, and, and I was, I was stunned. I was, I said, what, what could possibly go wrong, Frank? Um, <laughs> because we had planned it out. And, and honestly, at that point in time, business continuity disaster recovery was, was not even, on the radar of a, of a lot of folks, um, the uh, the disaster recovery industry was just getting started, with companies like uh, SunGuard and Comdisco coming in, uh, building uh, disaster recovery hot sites. But um, the, the the bottom line is, we 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 got the data center moved, and everything went perfectly. But I was bitten by the disaster recovery bug in mm. uh, in the late seventies. So. Um, I went on after that, uh, started a company in Chicago called Shikor Information Management in 1980 that uh, was in the consulting uh, business for continuity and recovery. Um, we actually built the first um, industry's first uh, planning tool, uh, TRPS. Um, and, and during the 80 to 84 timeframe, uh, we became the consulting arm of Comdisco, which was in the disaster recovery hot site business. So uh, I joined I joined Comdisco in 1984 to help start their disaster recovery consulting business uh, and, and moved up through an 18-year career with Comdisco. Uh, I, um, I ran their European business continuity operation for several years. I started uh, several disaster recovery businesses in Asia Pacific and Australia um, and was at Comdisco up through uh, 2001 when the, uh, the disaster recovery business of Comdisco was sold to SunGuard. Um, after a, a short stint at SunGuard, um, I went on to IBM and ran their disaster recovery business continuity resilience division uh, for a couple of years. And then 12 years ago, uh, a group of us that had worked together before founded Fusion Risk Management, um, originally as a consulting firm, but now a very successful um, software-as-a-service company uh, addressing risk management, business continuity, uh, with a product called the Fusion Framework. And we've grown from uh, two of us originally, David Nolan and myself, up to uh, 100, 100 folks right now. Um, wow. I, I do a lot of speaking at conferences. Um, I'm on the uh, editorial board for Continuity Insights and um, the uh, Disaster Resource Guide, and I'm on the executive council for um, 
Disaster Recovery Journal, uh, and I'm also very involved in a private-public uh, organization called InfraGuard, which is a um, public-private partnership with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. So uh, that's a little bit about me uh, and my, my background in the industry. Um, pretty extensive, um, about 40 years now. Wow, it's not you just have a lot of background in the industry. You help build the industry. <laughs> well, I, I guess so. That's, uh, maybe I, ju- I turned 71 this year, Alex, and um, I'm still, I, I still love it. I'm still active. I still speak at conferences. Um, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that, uh, that uh, drives me crazy. In fact, my wife was even in the business uh, for, for many, many, many years. So we're a disaster recovery business continuity household. So you could say your family is a disaster? <laughs> I, I don't think I better say that. Uh, she'll probably listen to this uh, broadcast, but uh, we do do a lot of planning. We're both uh, community emergency response team uh, trained uh, and and do a lot to uh, support the community also. Well, that's great. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, I've got a great person to have on the show to talk about this because, um, as you said as well, you know, the, the article that I referenced here about BIAs um, – kind of whenever it was written, especially over the last few years, it could be fresh today as it was way back then. So I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. So for for our listeners, we have listeners around the globe, um, yep. and some people you know, have a lot of experience with uh, BIAs or business impact analyses for anybody who might not know what that stands for, uh, and varying levels of expertise. And I'm wondering if you could take a couple of minutes and just kind of tell us traditionally what is a BIA supposed to do? What What is it? So that everyone gets context as to where we're going to be going next. It, it, absolutely. And and I, I want to say for those people who, as you said, might think this is heresy, um, the, the, business, the business impact analysis can still be an important part of people's uh, program. It, it's not... It's not that the process of doing the assessment and analysis is flawed. My, my opinion is, and my experience bears this out, that the way we go about doing a business impact analysis as a point-in-time exercise has a lot of flaws. Um, you know, when I think about a business impact analysis, I think about identifying the most critical business processes for the organization. And, and, and that's important because that allows us to assist in determining the appropriate strategies for continuity. So, mm-hmm. so you can't just say we're going to write a plan to recover the entire organization all at once. So there has to be an understanding of what's critical, what's not critical, what time frames are involved, what people are involved, so that the recovery can take place, the strategies can be built, and the recovery can take place in a prioritized and a, and a timely fashion. So, so that's just a little bit about what the business impact assessment is. Um, wh- one of the things that I think is, is a problem with the, um, with the business impact analysis is that, it, is that it, it focuses in many cases on the wrong things. 
Um, and it like, focuses like on them in the wrong way. Um, so can you give a couple of examples? What what kind of things does it focus on that, you know, are 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 stressed, you know, sure. incorrectly? You know? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, when when people typically do a business impact analysis, they ask about financial impact, they ask about operational impact, and they ask about legal and regulatory impact. But they do that at the department level typically. And, and, and in most cases, the way the questions are asked and the way it's approached, the, the people that are being interviewed don't have the proper context to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. I have done many BIAs in the past where the sum total of the financial impact exceeds by two or three times the revenue of the organization. Because, you know what? Because, I thought I was the only person who experienced that because <laughs> I've gone through that too. <laughs> I'm glad to know I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no, it's it's because it's because people are people are asking questions that the interviewee doesn't have good con- context in terms of how to answer. Um, so, so you know, first of all, typical BAs are presented in in a scenario agnostic fashion. In other words. They don't paint a picture for the interviewee of what has happened. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that one BIA response can fit all situations, an IT outage, a facility outage, a supplier outage that could occur. That mm-hmm. lack of perspective on the situation that may occur puts responders in a difficult position to answer, as each potential outage type will typically impact a BIA responder differently. I also think that the organization's capability to recover is not factored into the questioning of during the BIA process. So, so people say, what would happen if the IT systems were down for a day, a week, a month, six months? But, but in fact, the organization may have a very robust IT disaster recovery capability that allows them to recover in 48 hours or 72 hours or 24 hours. So, mm-hmm. so why ask people what the impact would be in a week or a month when that's never going to be the situation that occurs? So, mm-hmm. so again, you know, questions in some case makes sense, but they're flawed in the fact that they don't present the right position, uh, the right situation um, to the uh, to the people. Um, I think the fact that those generic questions are asked leaves out the fact that, that if you're going to do a business impact study, and, and, and we call it that a business impact management study, um, it's important to learn what impacts can affect the organization. So, so I have said to many, many, many people, before you start building the questions, read the organization's annual report. Read the organization's 10K. Look for key performance indicators. Look for what's important to an organization. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a research and development organization, and, and they're not really focused on revenue. They're focused on, on you know, product, product development and, and market share and things like that. So, 
So I think it's important. I think one of the problems, I should say, with the BIA in the past, Alex, is mm-hmm. number one, it's 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 not presented in a context that allows people to give good answers. Number two, I think it asks questions that aren't relevant to what's going on in the particular organization. Um, and and I, I think, you know, the lack of those things, um, you know, combined with some of my other comments, um, creates, creates a output of a process that, that doesn't have the value that it does. It frustrates the interviewees. They, mm-hmm. they, they lose confidence in the information that's provided. Uh, as I stated before, you know, if it's all about financials and the financials exceed the revenue of the company and management looks at that, they say, well, this doesn't make any sense. So that, then the whole thing starts to lose, lose credibility. So, you know, those are, those are some of my thoughts about what is wrong with the traditional BIA today. And on that point, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We're talking with John Jackson. Has the traditional traditional BIA run its course? We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with John Jackson, and our topic today, Has the Traditional BIA Run Its Course? John, before our break, uh, you had some great comments about um, some of the problems that are wrong with um, the, the the BIA and gave started to give us some ideas on how to change that. So, and you mentioned you know showing value, and uh, I'm wondering how do we do that? You know, who needs to be involved? What what kind of things do we really need to to provide out of the new B, BIA approach if we want it to really meet what what we expect it to deliver? You know. Sure. Well, again, I want to I want to stress the fact that I I don't think it's the assessment process that mm-hmm. is flawed. I think it's the way it has been done, the questions that have been asked, the information that has been gathered, um, and the and the the lack of value of the report um, that that gets uh, that gets presented. So, mm-hmm. so w- w- we focus on a slightly different uh, approach called business impact management. And, and business impact management, uh, in many ways, gets the same information, but we believe it, it gets it in a much more usable uh, and actionable um, manner. Um, okay. first, first of all, you, you asked me the question about, who all is involved, and 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 I don't think there's a big difference in who's involved, Alex. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you have to go to the source of the organization um, to 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 get the information. Um, it, so when when we think of, of a business impact management study, we think about developing a detailed knowledge of the organization and its impacts. And and the first thing that we have to understand is how does the organization work? In other words, what happens in the organization on a day-in, day-out basis that allows it to operate so that we can understand how it can break? Mm-hmm. We, we, need to, we need to make sure that, that we're uh, ensuring command and control of the processes and systems, um, delivering desired outcomes, Regardless of the type of disruption, so so again, I I don't think we can just say what happens if your systems are down. We have to we have to we have to paint a scenario based approach that allows people to to understand what the capabilities of the organization are, and and therefore take that into account when they're answering the questions um, about about you know what the what the impacts can be. Um, traditionally, we've asked people to answer questions about recovery time and recovery point. And, and mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of problems there that, that we're trying to solve. One is, one is the average end user, the average interviewee, has no idea what recovery point is. They have no idea how the data is being backed up in their organization. Um, so, so they're in no position, in my opinion, to, to make, a, make an assessment of recovery point. Um, and, and recovery time, while it has value, um, needs to be looked at in the context of 
how processes are are done in the organization. So 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 not how a particular business unit operates, but how a business process gets accomplished, because that may very well entail multiple business units who are involved in a singular process. So that could it, that could be things like um, dependencies, you know, what, yeah, what comes in and yep. what goes out, right? Yep, dependencies are, are, are a very key part that have been overlooked in the traditional mm-hmm. business impact analysis because it has been done at the business unit level, not at the process level. So, so the mm-hmm. biggest change, in my opinion, um, is is that we need to look at it at the at the um, at the process level, not the business unit silo level. Um, business impact management is all about a continual and act, and actively managed process for changing the way you think about threats, risks, and impacts. It's mm-hmm. not a periodic point-in-time effort that leaves gaps that could be critical to miss, which is another problem with traditional BIAs. They're typically mm-hmm. done, and then, they're, then you know, you come back six months later or a year later, and you do another business impact analysis. Well, well, what happens if things change during that period? So business impact management involves understanding how the business operates, understanding how it can break, and therefore how it needs to be protected and understanding what is critical to measure and report upon. Business impact management results in a decision framework and a database to improve decision-making in every phase of continuity of the Continuity or Resilience Program. Importantly, is an interactive concept that seeks to not only ascribe impacts, but also understand relationships identify resources, alternatives, and establish core strategies. Mm-hmm. Most organizations, and I'm getting off of the, uh, the BIA issue for a, for a moment, Alex. Um, That's okay. Many organizations do a BIA and then go and write plans. They miss a very critical step, which is strategy development, because the plan executes to invoke the strategy. So if, 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 you don't, if you don't identify the strategy that's needed for a business process in the case of an IT outage, you're really not in any position to write quality plan for that, for that business process. So, so, so we believe that, that the, the process of doing the business impact management uh, and building Building that database uh, of, of information at the at the process level allows uh, quality strategy development, which then feeds into much better developed plans. Um, well, you meant so- you mentioned something really interesting uh, uh, when we we're uh, when you were talking about strategy and you know, identifying some uh, uh, other components there and. There was a a time when I went through a BIA and we did it based on, you know, the framework that the organization already had. You know, this is what they wanted to use, so we went through it, and that's fine. And there were some pieces that, um, when the 
questions came up about, you know, what do you do when some application is down or, or you know, the entire end-to-end process is down? What, what do you do? And it turned out that, oh, well, this, they already had some contingencies and things in place already that weren't ever accounted for in previous BIAs. Right. And it drastically changed what their plan was because they had done exactly that. It didn't focus on some of the things that you just brought up, you know, the, the flawed process. And when they brought in all these, well, we have a workaround for that. And we have a, we have a, uh, an existing plan that addresses this when this goes down and these communications that they activate and they're able to keep going. Right. And I just went, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. The, the, the business, the business impact analysis and, and this, and this new way of approaching it that we call business impact management can, can actually can actually be way more beneficial than than the typical BIA has been because the typical BIA simply develops a report that says you know here's all of our business units here's what the recovery times need to be based on on these impacts but it does nothing to help develop the strategy or to help develop the plan. And, and, and we find that during what we call now the business impact management process, we're actually able to not only gather information about the impacts of an outage, but we're able to begin to develop the strategy and talk to the people about the plan, talk to them about what mm-hmm. would you do so, so you know, we say to them, you know, okay, we have this, we have this business process. You know, who all is involved in various departments um, in this business process? You know, let's get let's get them together so that we're looking at it cross-functionally at the process level, and then let's not only understand what the impact of an outage w- would be, taking into account the recovery capabilities that we have. But then let's also, while we're here, talk about what would we need to do to recover it? What's the right strategy? What are the, what are the things that you would do? If this happened, what are the first 10 things that you would do? And, and, and these are the people that are going to execute the plan when they have to anyway. We might as well involve them in developing the plan in the first place. So, yes, I, I find that uh, uh, that happens a lot. That because uh, um, you have a great point of bringing people together, and because you've mentioned the the point uh, point about dependencies and things, uh, I would assume that that also means you know bringing multiple groups together rather than the the traditional building plans and silos. Absolutely, it does. It it means that it means that once you define the process that's going to be studied. You then need to understand everybody who has input into that into that uh, process, and, and that includes external resources. It includes suppliers. Uh, it includes you know IT IT systems. It includes facilities. It includes you know all of those things that mm-hmm. that can affect the ability to recover that process. And the strategy needs to be developed at the process level, and the plan needs to be developed at the process level, because that's what you're trying to recover. You're not trying to recover the entire accounting department. You're trying to, 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 uh, to recover, you know, the general ledger. You're trying to uh, recover payroll 
and, and those things involve different different pieces. You know, payroll is a perfect example because in many organizations it's it's handled by an external resource. So mm-hmm. so the fact that that you know an IT outage occurs uh, may not even impact the the payroll process because payroll may be getting done by an external organization. But if that external organization has an outage, independent of the of the the uh, you know the entity that that we're studying, now we have a real problem. So so this you know the strategy needs to address how are we going to recover or how are we going to account for an outage at that supplier versus how are we going to deal with it internally. So it it it, it it's just a whole different way of looking at it and the outputs that are derived are significantly more valuable mm-hmm. to the organization. The the payroll example you just mentioned was perfect because I used to work uh, as a business continuity person at a large payroll company uh, many years ago. And we had the same, when I first got there, you know, when we were first starting to really build the business continuity program, it, the same thing was starting to happen. You know, what do we do when IT's down? Well, you know, payroll is done here and, you know, all, all this. And people were starting to wonder, you know, when IT is down. And I said, we, we finally realized it, finally snapped going, well, wait a minute. We, we, we have this vendor over here that does this for us. So well, I, is it really our issue if our IT goes down? And we, you know, so we had that conversation and we, we talked to a couple of our partners like the bank. We talked to the to the bank and said, "What would you do?" And they said, "Well, we would just rerun your last payroll, and you could fix the the stuff afterwards." And we went, "It's that easy, really?" <laughs> I don't I don't know if you saw um, in the last day or so um, this issue that Ford Motor Company has, where uh, one of their suppliers had a massive fire in their manufacturing facility, and Ford is base has basically shut down manufacturing of the F-150 pickup truck, they have 84 days of supply left before they run out of, car, of trucks. And, and, and that is, I believe, I, I may not be 100% correct, but I believe it's at least one of their highest profitability products, if, if yes. not the highest. And, and it has nothing to do with their IT. It has nothing to do with their facilities, their manufacturing plants, their staff, their workforce, nothing. It all has to do with a supplier who can't provide a critical component, and it's the only supplier that Ford uses for this. So I think the same thing occurred with... That probably oh, wasn't caught during the assessment because it mm-hmm. wasn't looked at as a process. It was looked at as, you know, a, as an internal-only focus. I think the same thing occurred with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, with Toyota when the Fukushima earthquake occurred. Because I know for a fact the Toyota plant down the road from where I live ran into the same problem with Ford. Because yep. I did hear that on the radio today. They were running out of parts. And it was, and you know, the, the parts were coming from the other side of the world. And they, they were shutting, being impacted here and shutting down plants or cutting, cutting shifts back. You know, so yeah, those those things, you know, with the old approach, they I, I think you're completely correct. You know, they're looking at it in the at the wrong level. Yeah. So 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 the process itself is similar, but the results are different because what we get is we get an assessment at the at the business process level, not the department level. 
we get an assessment of what what are what's the impact to keep performance indicators that the company relies upon not not just some generic you know what what would be the financial impact what would be the operational impact we it it ties it back to what's really important to that particular organization and, and as i said it's it, it's something that you know needs to be understood ahead of time so that the questions can can be can be something that people can relate to and 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 the the you know the third thing is uh this the issue of ongoing um an ongoing process versus a point in time um it it's important that that when changes occur in the organization maybe there are organizational changes maybe it's an acquisition maybe it's a divestiture maybe it's a merger maybe it's a a new product line that's being that's being developed you know do we do that business impact study at that time so that we're 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 addressing the problem at the beginning not at the end we 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 need to mm-hmm. we need to not find out 6 months in that we've developed a new product and now we can't make that product and we have no idea you know how we're going to do the do recovery for it because we didn't we didn't we didn't do it when we should have we didn't do it at the beginning we didn't do it when when it was important to do it versus just doing it on a point in time basis right we were so happy to have this new product we just ran down the road and forgot to see some of the signs along the way yep absolutely <laughs> so 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 this process needs to be part of the the development process for new products it needs to be part of the acquisition of a new organization it needs to be part of the divestiture it needs to be part of a of a uh, of an M&A process i mean it this is a critical piece that gives insight into the impacts that will occur and allows you to have current up to date plans that address the current organization not the organization as it looked like 6 months ago right and on that note we're going to take our second break we're talking with john jackson uh, about uh, the traditional bia and has it run its course uh, we'll be right back stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com all round the outermost rim of the shield he set the mighty stream of the river oceanus creating achilles shield in homer's the iliad book 18 rachel carson in the sea around us said all at last return to the sea to oceanus the ocean river like the ever flowing stream of time the beginning and the end Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. 
hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking with John Jackson. Has the traditional BIA went its course? John, in our last segment, you brought up some great uh, points. Uh, And while you were talking, just at the end, I started to think of something the, the BIA as it stands, the, the existing process, uh, or the traditional process, I should say, the one that was you know, developed and probably, you know, you remember being, you know, being a part of, uh, you know, with all, all of your experience. Yep. Do you think the, the change, uh, the potential change in performing BIAs and changing the focus, is that a result of, you know, our business environment now? Because obviously the, the BIA at one point was developed with a specific mindset you know, a specific viewpoint, you know, back 20, 30 years ago, but things have changed now. So do you think that the, the change in the BIA it should be a result of that, like to, to align with where things are going? I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a really good point, Alex. Um, I, I think when, when BIAs were first developed, um, it, was a much, it was a much simpler uh, environment and, and people's perspective of, of business continuity, uh, and actually, you know, it, it was developed when disaster recovery was really the only focus. Um, mm-hmm. In the in the uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, people were only focused in this industry on an IT systems outage. So there there were you know there were no um, there were no work area recovery solutions. It was it was you know IT recovery only so so the BIA was developed around what would happen if there was a IT systems outage um, and 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 that that did not take into account what would happen if there was a facility outage what would happen if there was a pandemic what would happen if there was a workforce outage what would happen if there was a supplier outage so the so the, the the initial process of doing the BIA focused only on an IT systems outage, and and honestly, I think what we've tried to do is just use the same process to address other types of outages that could occur without really thinking through, you know what what are the uh, you know what are the the impacts of these of these new outages. I, I remember, I remember in '93, 
when I was at Comdisco and the World Trade Center bombing, uh, the first uh, bombing of the World Trade Center occurred, and um, and people were displaced from the World Trade Center, and and we had at the Comdisco recovery facilities only computer centers. All we had was was rooms full of big computers for people to use, and and. 950 people showed up on buses at the Comdisco Recovery Facility in in Carlstad in North Bergen, New Jersey, saying, we were told that you guys are our recovery solution, so here we are. (laughs) And and, and we had to, on the spot, develop what became the industry's work area recovery solution which was desks and chairs and phones and fax machines and everything else. But, but the BIAs that, that had been done didn't take that into account. Um, in, in, in today's environment, which is much more global in nature, much more high-tech in nature, much more, um, much more uh, supplier-dependent in nature, um, it, it, it's, it has driven the requirement to rethink the process. And, and if, if people are just taking the old BIA and, and trying to apply it to today's organization, they're, they're just going to continue to come up short. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if, 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 somebody, if somebody believes that they still want to, you know, do it the old way, I would just ask them to rethink the questions that they're asking and rethink the... Um, you know the, the the process versus department focus, and and also capture the data in in a method that can be analyzed and 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 updated on an ongoing basis. Um, you know the the days of doing this in in spreadsheets and word documents are are long gone. Um, there's still a lot of organizations that have not adopted a a uh, a, a a relational database uh, planning tool uh, for capturing this data, but I, I think as as organizations go forward, it's going to be incumbent on them to to not only change the process, but to change the the way they're capturing the data and analyzing the data. So I, I think you raise a really good point that the new business environment uh, is driving the change. Uh, and, and that the, the, the old way of doing BIAs just, just isn't keeping up. It's not that it can't keep up, but it isn't keeping right. up. Well, I think you brought some great points up there you know, with the changing business environment. You know, years ago, uh, an organization could kind of exist with one or two suppliers and vendors, and that would be it. But now you know, you're dealing with people literally around the world. You know, so you you have to rethink what you're doing. You can't do something that may have worked 20, 30 years ago, and try to use that today. It's not going to work. And I think you're you're 100 correct in that. I, I really agree with you. And there's also there's also Alex a, a big a big conflict between um, what the procurement organization's doing and what the business continuity organization's doing. Because if I'm the business continuity organization, I'm going to say. I want five or six suppliers that I can count on so that none of them account for more than 15 or 20%. And if I'm the mm-hmm. procurement organization, 
I'm going to say I'm going to crush it all down to one supplier so I can get the best pricing on the uh, on the, the the product or the service that I'm buying, um, and and basically I'm increasing the risk. So it's a uh, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, debate that goes on within organizations about you know um, how procurement actually impacts business continuity without really even thinking about what they're doing. Well, then you put yourself in the situation, the example you brought up with uh, not Toyota was my example, (laughs) uh, with Ford that's happening right now. Absolutely. And, and, you know, maybe maybe it's a proprietary uh, piece of tooling or something that nobody else nobody else has. But but, you know, if that's the case, they've got it. They've got to think about, you know, what are their inventory levels? Do they you know, do they have? you know, X number of months of, of supply of that product. So, um, you know, there's many ways to skin that cat. It, you know, you can either mm-hmm. have multiple suppliers or you can increase inventory levels. Um, but, but what you can't do is just ignore it and then find out that you're in trouble. Right. So let I've got a question for you. I know there are people out there right now who are saying, no, you know, we swear by this BIA, you know, the old way and, you know, looking at it, you know, from from a the older perspective, and we want to stick to that. What would you suggest? You know, how how would you try to win them over to, you know, starting to think differently uh, about uh, BIAs? You know, the traditional way of doing it. You know, the process is still there, of course, but you know, getting outcomes and getting uh, value from the BIA. How what would you tell them? How would you try and change their mind? Well, I, I, I agree with you that there is um, some adversity to change, um, that there's people who, who are going to say, you know what, I've been doing BIAs for, for years and years and years, and, you know, I, 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 I think what they have to say, Alex, is, is this all about how I feel about what I'm doing, or is this about the value that this is providing to my organization, and mm-hmm. and and is the BIA really providing anything that is being used to develop strategies and to develop plans? Uh, I think I think that's a question that people have to ask, and and you know the the fact that someone might change doesn't mean that what they were doing is wrong. It means that maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe thinking about it in terms of a process that spans multiple business units in an organization is, is more important than thinking about what an individual organization does. So, so you know, I, I, honestly, I don't really care if people call it a BIA or, or a business impact management or an assessment or what, you know, the, the name isn't the important thing. The important thing is the value that people are getting out of the process, and that they're and that they're tailoring the process to to match their organization. So so you know, make sure that when you're talking to people, you're taking into account the the recovery capabilities of the organization. Don't ask a bunch of questions about what would happen in a month, what would happen in six months, what would happen in a year. Those questions are irrelevant, and all they do is irritate the person who's being interviewed because they don't make any sense. 
and and mm-hmm. and, they, and there's no context to them. So I, I think people can do themselves uh, a favor, honestly, uh, by by um, by rethinking what they're doing. And and you know the the important thing in the important thing in here for for me is this should be a way for for the business continuity person to show that they're providing more value to the organization if they say we've taken a look at how we're doing this and we realize there's better questions that can be asked there's there's better strategies that can be developed so we're adapting to to a new way of, of conducting this assessment that is better for the organization, they they come out looking better. They come out looking mm. better. Um, so so I, I think you know yes, there's going to be resistance to it, um, but I think I think the question that has to be asked is is the resistance because I don't want to change, or mm-hmm. or do I need to change because I need to provide a better result? for my organization, and I need to have people view that I'm willing to change to accommodate a better approach. I think that's a great point, and we've just about run out of time, but that's a fantastic point, you know, uh, about someone's personal feelings and the organization, you know, and the value. I think that's a fantastic way to end because a a lot of people do think about business continuity and disaster recovery on a personal level rather than the, you know, answering for the organization. You know, it kind of in, increases their fear level. Oh, my God, something's going to happen, you know. So I, I think that's a really good point to bring up. So thanks for bringing that. Yep. Um, if the In the, my last minute here, uh, I just want to thank you, John, for coming on and talking about this. I think there was uh, a lot of great information uh, uh, that you provided to us. And I hope many listeners um, listen to this and re-listen to it because there are, are some great points in here. You know, one of the subjects that are always out there right now is how do we move this industry forward? And John has touched on some great points that, that of how we can do that, you know, bring increase the value of BCM or, or disaster recovery, whatever term you want to use. Right. You know, how do we bring that to the organization? So, John, thank you very much for, for doing that. And... Um, if there's any other subject you know about business continuity, disaster recovery you'd like to talk about, feel free. You have an open invitation to come back on the show uh, and, and talk about it. I thought this was really great, and um, I thank you very much for it. Well, thank you, Alex. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I, I hope it's of value to uh, your listeners. I'm sure it will be. So, everyone, again, if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, please feel free. Get in touch. Otherwise, in the meantime... Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.